0: Hello and welcome to the That's My Truth podcast. I'm your host, Juliana, and I'm so glad you're tuning in today. If you are a first time listener, I'd like to welcome you to the show. And if you are a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode. This podcast features discussions with people who I admire and look up to about everything from career and wellness to social issues and friendship if you are looking for ways to support the show, there are a few ways. First, you can leave a review or rating in Apple podcasts. Second, you can share an episode with a friend or share it on social media. And lastly, you can follow us on social media and anywhere we are present online. So check us out. But overall, more than anything, you listening is the most supportive thing you can do. So thank you for tuning in. Hello and welcome to the That's My Truth podcast. I, I'm, I always say that I'm excited, but truly it's because I am. But this week's episode is one of my favorites, honestly. I interviewed Nerea Duhart, who lives in Los Angeles. She is an actor and the face behind Little Shell Thrift, which is a secondhand shop on Instagram, and she also is from Mexico and has lived across the world, so she grew up in Singapore, um, and she's spent some time also in the Middle East and Europe. And yeah, she now lives in L.A. So I first came across Norea through her Instagram, Little Shell Thrift, and I've purchased things from her. So I definitely encourage you to check out her page, make sure to follow her, and she also provides a bunch of recommendations, so those will be included in the show notes. But I found this to be a really inspiring conversation, and it's sparked my interest in minimalism, so I know that you'll definitely take something away from this. And so I'll now turn it over to the interview, but make sure to follow Norea and Little Shell Thrift. Well, hi, Norea, Thank you for joining on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited because I've been following you on Instagram for a couple of months now at Little Shell Thrift. So I'm hoping to start that you can introduce yourself.
1: Sure. My name is Norea Duhart. I'm the curator and owner of Little Shell Thrift, which is a thrift shop primarily on Instagram.
0: So I have some questions pertaining to Little Shell because that's first where I started following you. And so I'm curious what inspired you to start the shop.
1: Around three years ago, I started my journey into minimalism. And during quarantine, I had a lot of time off as everyone did and started decluttering a lot of my belongings. And because of the lack of work, I thought maybe I could, instead of just donating these things, try to make a little bit of extra cash. And I had a friend who was moving to Chicago and she gave me a big box of her clothing. She was like, could you donate this whenever the thrift shops reopen? Or just you know, keep it or sell it, whatever you'd like to do. So it took it as a challenge to see how much I could sell um, and I used various uh, places like Depop, Poshmark. And then I started posting things on my own Instagram, see if any friends wanted them. And I started getting a couple of messages like from people who I didn't otherwise follow, wanting to purchase things. And I thought to myself, oh, this is great. People are actually finding these items that they want on Instagram. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start a little hub where I can put any of my clothing or clothing that I find once the thrift stores open that I think people would really love and it started growing and growing and growing and I thought this is something I could really do and really love doing with my time so once all the thrift shops were open I was going multiple times a week finding really great things in all kinds of sizes and starting to get to know a lot of women who were interested in buying secondhand and the journey into slow fashion secondhand fashion yeah now we're we're at just under 2,000 followers around there, um, and uh, about seven months in, and it's going pretty well.
0: Very cool. Um, I know you mentioned that you began or became interested in minimalism about three years ago. What got you interested
1: in minimalism? So, I'm definitely a person who loves to shop, and I would spend a lot of my younger years at shopping malls, that was like one of my favorite activities. But as I started working, I started to feel really guilty with purchases that weren't, let's say, smart, that were impulse buys. And I really hated that guilt. So I had come across a couple of minimalists on YouTube, a couple of books, and sort of the Japanese culture of having less, and of course, the legendary Marie Kondo. And I started decluttering a little bit, and I felt lighter and lighter and started looking at my purchases more as investments as opposed to sort of little happiness spurts or little gifts to myself. And it was the gift that kept on giving. It's certainly a journey. It's taken me this long and I'm still um, seeing so much that I could do. A lot of my friends now are shocked by my closet. I have 30 items or less at all times. Um, My home is pretty minimalist too but that just means that I get to make more space for that special thing that I come across. Um, let's say investing in like your favorite coffee mug that's handmade by an artisan, as opposed to just buying like a whole set of generic mugs. That's one of my little favorite things I've done recently. Um, and with minimalism, there's a lot of saving that comes with it and a lot of guilt uh, that's alleviated from being able to save some money. So I could spend that into traveling. Um, What else? sort Sort of small investments like eating out at a nicer place. And yeah, so in full circle, it's been so much better for me and my lifestyle. I'm also a kind of person who likes a little bit less choice in the morning. Definitely feel like I never have anything to wear, even though I had a full closet most of my life, so Mm -hmm. having less choice with more of my favorite items has sped up that process and allowed me to spend more time on other things in the morning.
0: Wow, that's very cool. I I did see you just posted recently your your closet. I don't know if you refer to it as a capsule wardrobe, um, but I know there were very few items in it. Um, So yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious, so how does that work for fitness, like if you have certain clothes for working out or, um, yeah, I'm just curious about, about that.
1: Yes, so there's two routes you can take. There is a capsule wardrobe that I recommend for anybody who would just be starting, where you split your closet between, let's say, two seasons or the four seasons, depending on where you live, and you stow away the other half of your closet. So at all times, you're only seeing the things that you're actually going to wear. For example, if it's summer, you don't have your winter coat in your closet. Um, And that includes running gear, uh, sports gear. And so, for example, if you have like a set that's for running in the snow or in colder weathers, you can put that away. I do include all of those extras, sleepwear and running gear, sports gear in my 30. But most minimalists that I watch or are sort of take part in what they like to preach don't they like to put that completely separately especially if you have an expensive hobby i know some people for example are horseback riders and that takes a lot of gear so they don't count that as towards their own closet and they store that somewhere else in their home so it's intentional for that one activity wow that's very interesting
0: so which closet do you do do you have one that rotates
1: that's how I started. I started mm-hmm. placing a couple of things in a suitcase under my bed, um, especially when I was living in New York, because, <laughs> you know, it gets really cold and then really hot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I moved to L.A., where it pretty much stays this temperature all year round. It's just a little bit sunnier or not so much um, these couple of days, but never really rains. So I definitely have to keep that in mind that it's easier to have a minimalist closet when you live in a place where you don't need so much gear like rain boots or umbrellas or things like that so it's been easier to not have a capsule wardrobe and just have a tiny closet i've invested in some linen pieces that work year round and then i have one heavy duty jacket for whenever i travel outside of la let's say to new york or or somewhere else it's much colder and that does stay under my bed in a suitcase and then i have about one wedding dress um for any of my family members weddings that are coming up I don't mind wearing the same one. Um, And yeah, so there are a couple of items that I wouldn't count that live under my bed, um, but that's just very (laughs) few items. Wow, very interesting. Now I'm interested to learn more
0: in capsule, or capsule, just minimalism, and capsule wardrobes, because I feel like I don't have that many clothes, but I definitely don't love many items and could do without, but it's kind of the comfort of having like a a few more
1: items on the closet rod so absolutely Part of <laughs> it, some people have this um, idea also like, like they'll buy themselves something really nice but they don't want to wear it because it might get snagged or it might get stained or you might not ever get to save it for that one special occasion I'm very guilty of this <laughs> and um, there is a woman in Australia she changed her name from a small wardrobe to Um, creating authentic style just recently. If anybody wants to watch her YouTube channel, it's very inspirational. Um, (laughs) She talks about wearing your best every day. And so she grabs all of her favorite clothing from her closet and puts it directly in front of her where she can see it every day. And at first forced herself to wear it, even if it might get snagged and all. And then if anything were to happen to that piece of clothing that was, let's say your absolute favorite, you had a little stain on it, she would take it to get it professionally cleaned or professionally repaired, which would add to the story of that garment and would add to the personalization of her having worn it so many times. And I thought that was a great way to look at clothing. Wow, yeah.
0: I'll definitely add that in the show notes, but I'll have to check her out because that kind of speaks to the value of clothing. Like you only have the items that you cherish and then you take good care of them get them professionally cleaned and
1: it just continues their life or extends their life i guess yes exactly she also speaks about um, having a closet that will work for five years from now or investing in pieces that you might want for the next 10 years as opposed to buying into trends and i think that's Mm -hmm. key for us right now with fast fashion wanting to find um, the trendy piece or the piece that everybody wants and really slowing down and looking at Maybe there's an alternative that's a smaller shop that is better built, perhaps a little bit more expensive, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: you might love it for longer. Absolutely. Yeah. So hearing
0: you talk about minimalism, I guess I understand why you focus when you ship your items from little shell thrift, you make sure to use low waste and eco-friendly packaging. So... I'm just curious, what materials do you use to package items?
1: We did extensive research on different options of mailers, what would be best for clothing, and we came across Eco & Clothes as a company. They do really great products, all range of things. We have, um, our favorites are the smaller compostable mailers. They're also curbside recyclable. Some things can be recyclable, but at specific recycle laying locations. This one, anyone can recycle. Um, Their ink is also sustainably made, and even their shipping label glue is sustainably made. It's not the cheapest option out there, um, Mm -hmm. which I understand why a lot of thrift shops might not make that a priority, but we did want to come full circle in our shop if people were buying already secondhand and helping the environment by not generating any more new clothing or taking part in this fast fashion circle why not also invest in materials that may be able to be reused or recycled and also for the post office not to have to you know they go through so many packages a day perhaps there are options out there Um, while you're investing in the post office by using their system um, you could use these materials that might be able to be you know, sent back in the same mailer if you sell something or if you want to send something to a family member.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I like that mentality. Um there is a grocery store near me. I live in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of DC, and there's a grocery store and they have a little I'm sure they do this in LA actually, but they have a cart where they put their packaging supplies. For people to take and reuse so when they open a you know a cart of whatever it might be they put the packaging on the shelf for people to reuse which i
1: think is a cool concept that is a cool concept i haven't seen that yet um oh yeah that would be really cool to see i i because i we do definitely use these like tote bags and strangely mm-hmm. enough in quarantine it was a big no no at some of the supermarkets here. They'd say you couldn't bring your own bags. Yeah. I don't know if you had that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Well actually, um, so in D C bags cost money, but I but I live in Virginia, which like I live like a mile from D C but people use still use plastic bags and it's free of charge. So it's pretty unfortunate just to see all of the bags go to waste but this this particular grocery store encourages um the one that i talked about with the packaging supplies they encourage you know reusable everything they have like all compostable bags or encourage you to bring your own which is nice
1: yeah that's great i think that that is what i'm hoping to see more of here um we're pretty (laughs) advanced for the rest of the world for sure and yeah to be able to do this Mm -hmm. i also want to mention like um being sustainable is definitely a privilege. It's unfortunate. And sometimes it could be more expensive than not. Um, I think that's simply because it's less common. So you're buying small, um, but hopefully we can all make the shift. And then at that point, it will become mainstream. And we might match those prices with, let's say, a tote bag is a dollar, or a plastic bag is free. Hopefully, we'll, we'll flip it around, on its head one day.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm with, I'm with you there. Um, so I know I already, I mean, based on our conversation so far, I'm getting a sense for this, but I want to ask why is shopping secondhand important to you?
1: So I am an actor, um, and I have a lot of different little jobs here in LA, sort of sustaining jobs. So I didn't have a lot of disposable income for, uh, things like clothing, honestly, and, I was lucky enough to be thrifting one day and find something that I really wanted that was originally around $200 at a thrift shop and thought to myself, wow, I've just cracked the code. This is it. I, can, I don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on, on looking good. And you, of course, you might not find that exact thing you're looking for, but a very close second. So secondhand for me started off saving money. And then it became, oh, I'm actually investing my money in thrift shops that usually use that money to fund other organizations or help other charities. And then I took it a step forward and started shopping small and local. And now I was investing in other people in my community. And I kept seeing all of these sort of escalation of benefits as shopping secondhand. And then quarantine hit, and a lot of people couldn't have access to this thrift shop world and sort of going shopping and and all that. And Instagram became a hub for all of these women to share their stories, share their opinions on clothing, uh, their photos of them in their outfit, dressing up, you know, to stay at home, just to feel a little bit great. And a whole wave of women who were like, we love to thrift, but we can't right now, so we, life, we would love to shop your shop because you're a thrift shop on Instagram. So then it became starting a community of people who like to do this. And yeah, so I'm excited to see where else these benefits might come from um, or what, else, what the next tier of this pyramid of greatness that comes from the thrift gods <laughs> works out like. But <laughs> it started off as a small um, isolated idea for me just to save money and it's become a much greater thing.
0: Oh, that's great. I, I think that's kind of common in the sustainability space, like things really becoming a sense of a place of community rather than just like a one-way transaction. So I'm glad to hear that. It's in addition to being a shop, it's like a a place of community for you.
1: Definitely. One of our favorite things is seeing people repost their outfits And right now that we're coming out of quarantine, a lot of people are going to lunch with their friends for the first time and they finally get to wear their favorite outfit. And to see the fact that they've bought their entire outfit from different Instagram thrift shops. There are a lot of us out there that are now becoming all friends as well. Mm -hmm. It's just really nice to see and quite inspirational as well.
0: Yeah, that's sweet. I like to hear that. You said we uh, when you talk about Little Shell Thrift. So I'm wondering, do you have other people who are involved in, like, the Little Shell thrift process behind the
1: scenes? uh, There is our boss, Elvis. Not sure if you've seen a picture. Oh, your dog! Yeah, he is of the Chihuahua nature. Um, (laughs) Very bossy. Um, But that is it, actually. I do say we, um, but it is just me um, doing all of it right now. And I I primarily use my phone. So everything that you'll see, shipping labels and all, uh, photos, um, stories, all of that is just through me and my phone.
0: Oh, wow. Very cool.
1: Yeah, I didn't know. I mean,
0: sometimes saying we, um, because it's on projects that, like, are more time consuming makes sense. But that's sweet about your dog being the leader.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's always around. So I thought it would be funny if, if we made him the boss. Okay, so my next question is who or
0: what is your style
1: inspiration? That is a great question because I love minimalism. I love content creators that do these kinds of things. So like I mentioned, um, curate a, oh no, what was her new name? She just changed her name, but a small wardrobe. Um, <laughs> and I think it was like authentic.
0: Yes. That's Did what it I is. make that up? There was a word authentic in there. I don't know yes. where though. <laughs> I
1: think it was create authentic style. that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely send you the link so, um, so you can see. And another woman in Germany named Natasha. Minimalism is her account. A couple people, they all have different styles because it's all very close to them and their lifestyle. But I just love living vicariously and watching what they would dress like in Germany or in Australia. And thirdly, is Pinterest, an amazing resource. Um, Just type in, you know, minimalist outfit inspiration. And a lot of sort of these color palettes come up that now I screenshot. And so when I am thrifting or when I am sourcing any clothing, if it's for myself, I have a bank of about 20 screenshots to remind myself, okay, this is what you're going for. Um, This is the kind of material you're looking for. So for example, ideally linen, tensile, organic cotton if it's available, things like that, just to keep as a framework for the shop and for ourselves. That was really important because of course, while you're thrifting, you can see all kinds of things you might like. And this has allowed us to actually put things back, which we didn't usually do before, and make it more of a curated style as opposed to just um, all of our finds.
0: Wow, that's really neat. So is it a Pinterest board just for the shop that you have to reference?
1: Yes, exactly. And it's usually not such uh, fast fashion screenshots. We try to be aware, like let's say if there's an outfit that's fully head to toe from Zara and it's exactly what we're going for, we try to find a photo that's an alternate of a small shop or a shop that uses more sustainable practices, just so that we don't get also caught in trying to look like something that is actually generated by fast fashion because you'll never really meet up to that standard. So yeah, we're trying to, trying to be very specific in the kinds of photos and, and inspiration that we use. Very
0: cool. I'll have to try that. Um, that's a great idea. I've
1: heard of like a color palette
0: wardrobe. Yes. Um, <laughs> And that sounds somewhat similar.
1: Yes, there's there's a great app called Cladwell where you can take pictures of all of your clothing and put it in one. They have a really great setup where they can generate outfits for you according to the weather in your city. Or they can recommend pieces you haven't worn before, like in your closet. Um, You can make capsule wardrobes with the pictures um, by placing, let's say, 10 pieces in one little folder so that you remember like, oh, that's what I want to wear for the next 10 days. Um, so that's a great resource. And then they also do color palettes. They Once you upload all of your pictures of all your clothing, it'll start to match together where you're going, what colors you like most, things like that.
0: Wow. Um, is that like a free service or do you have to pay for
1: that? It used to be free, and I think they've upgraded it to, I can't remember, but it is a little pricey for Mm -hmm. the app. They also have online courses that you can join um, with other people who do curated style workbooks. I personally haven't joined yet, just because I have such little um, pieces of clothing. It's easier Mm -hmm. for me to screenshot, sorry, to take photos of my own clothes and then um, use a layout app just to put them all together in one page. And I recommend that for anybody if, you know, if you're just kind of on the go, just take a picture of a couple of your favorite things. And let's say you're wanting to get a matching patch for or shoes that would go well with that outfit. And so whenever you're shopping next or at a thrift store, you just reference that picture, take a look and say, OK, this would actually go well.
0: That's so cool.
1: Yeah, it, I I can imagine that being
0: a lot of work on the apps end but um so like I understand why they would charge people to use the service but that your tips are you're giving me great tips <laughs> <laughs> so did you want to talk about anything else little shell thrift before I transition to acting questions
1: uh sure uh, maybe I'll mention sort of how it works for anybody who's new to yeah like, yes sure yeah so if you visit little shell at little shell thrift on instagram um you'll see our page there and all you have to do is comment or dm to purchase any of the items we usually do these weekly drops where we post about 20 to 25 pieces of clothing that we've curated for that week we do a lot of reels videos sneak peeks right before that so you get a sense of what's going to become available. And then the countdown starts, you can click on the countdown in stories to set a reminder. So the app will say, hey, Little Shell Thrift is about to post all of these things so that you don't miss out. And then let's say if our drop is at noon, we will post all of our items in stories with measurements, photos, videos, descriptions, what it retailed for. And that makes it easier for you to sort of make sure that it's a right fit for you. Comment DM to purchase and we get your shipping address. We usually work through Venmo or PayPal and it ships next day and then it arrives to your doorstep. We do have a little bit of a, um, the culture of Instagram thrifting, I will say, items do go fast in most shops. So um, that's something I've been learning about a lot. We usually sell out within the day. Um, So, yeah. It's a little bit competitive, but don't be put off by that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that's great, though, that items are going quickly
1: yeah, for you. Some, yeah, <laughs> and, and a lot of shops I've seen also, they they sell out within minutes. Um, they It's interesting because now it's just a click away, really, and uh, everybody gets that notification at the same time. So you have multiple people theoretically at the same time in your shop. Um, and there's only one item of each, we very rarely find two pieces of each, which makes that one special item that much more special. So that's why um, I think people are more likely to, to buy it quickly because there's not you know, like multiple sizes that you can think of if you want to get it and then see if you want to get it later. So that's just something I've, I've come to learn about this method of having a thrift shop online. Yeah, it's
0: really interesting. And can I ask about the name? How? Why is it named Little Shell Thrift?
1: Yes, of course. That's a great question. So our mother's name was Conchita. That's short for Concepcion. She was born in Spain and um, moved to Mexico. So she's fully Spanish. She did pass away when we were 17. And um, we miss her a lot. But we thought a way to sort of tie-in, that love for clothing that she showed us. She always had really great taste in, in um, sort of boutique linen pieces. We grew up in Singapore, so she was really great at dressing for the heat, which I've sort of incorporated in my own style now here in L.A. And Conchita, that name, translates directly to a little shell. So we made the name Little Shell Thrift.
0: Oh, wow. That's really sweet. And I'm sorry to hear about your mom.
1: That's okay. She's, she lives on in many ways. And she um, I love seeing old photos of her. She was an uh, airline stewardess, head of cabin crew. Mm-hmm. And so she would travel a lot. And my dad was an airline pilot. So they would be in all these cities, beaches, and just wearing really cool outfits in the 90s and 80s. So sort of inspiration there, too, of what we source and what we like to get.
0: So I do have another question, but it's um, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier. Um, I'm just curious, do you have to do a lot of laundry with your wardrobe?
1: Ha, that is the amazing deal of having a tiny wardrobe is almost no laundry. Our pieces are that much more special to us. So we do hand wash them just so that they last longer. They're usually made of linen or cotton, so we don't want them to stretch out or sort of get, um, you know, sometimes stained in the, in the laundry from other pieces of clothing. I do have a husband, so I do have to do laundry uh, a couple of times to do <laughs> laundry, too. So mm-hmm. it's not, if I were living on my own, I would definitely actually most likely not need a washer and dryer, just maybe for my sheets and towels. But for my own closet, I'm happy to say I don't actually have to do any laundry. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. And we recently found these, I've, I don't know if you've used these before, these laundry sheets. They're laundry detergent in sheet form. So oh, you, s- you skip out on that big bo- plastic bottle and they're much more compact. You can even rip them into little pieces if you're using less loads. And sometimes what I like to do, hot tip for anybody out there, you rip them into little pieces, you put them in a recycled spray bottle, you put some distilled water in there and shake it up and it becomes like a detergent spray. So if anything just needs a little fresh, if you've only worn it for maybe two hours that day, um, you can spray it down. And that's a great use of less space and more laundry detergent and a quicker sort of clean as opposed to sort of deep cleaning everything all the time. Wow, Um, another great tip, where are the
0: sheets from? Is there a certain brand or store
1: that they sell them at? we get them at a store called 365 the whole foods sort of adjacent oh yeah yeah Yeah. i think they're called eco next and they should be wherever the other laundry detergents are you'll see them in a box they have three cents i think mandarin lavender and normal we have the lavender one and it's pretty nice (laughs) awesome thank you yeah these really are great tips um
0: (laughs) okay so those are all of my questions about Little Shell Thrift. So I'm hoping we can now transition to talking about acting. So you mentioned that you were an actor um, earlier when we were talking about the, um, the start of Little Shell Thrift. So can you talk about your journey to becoming an actor?
1: Yes. So I grew up in Singapore and there wasn't any sort of acting course there in school we had drama but that was about it we didn't have we had one musical a year um so i didn't know that i wanted to be an actor but i knew that i really loved that class that's how it, it spawned for me in school then i went into high school and there was a drama course but i was the only student in the school that wanted to take it so they couldn't support the course So uh, one of the drama teachers ended up giving me a couple of plays, and I thought, oh, okay, so it's acting that I like; it's the performance that I like. And I started applying for acting schools. I got into one in New York called the New York um, Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. I went there for three years. I moved there when I was 17 by myself, and after that, I was an international student here in the U.S. So I stayed for a year because I had a visa to. I volunteered at all the film festivals, did a couple of short films for NYU, Columbia, things like that. And then I moved to London for a short while because I have a Spanish passport. So I thought maybe I could check out the acting scene over there. And an opportunity came up to come back to LA and start um, acting here. So I took it, I met my husband and I've been here ever since. Wow, Quite
0: quite the journey to acting. So what kind of actor are you? I know before on the call, you mentioned that you used to do some um, voiceover auditions. I guess, what projects are you most drawn to?
1: I am mostly cast in roles that are younger, sort of 18 to play, uh, older 18 to play younger. That's how we call it. If you don't ever have to state your age, which is kind of handy. So people will be like, okay, so are you over 18 to play younger? Yes. You can play a high school student, uh, sort of a teenager. I recently auditioned for that show, The Wilds, on Amazon. So that's the kind of world that I move around. I audition for a lot of dramatic roles. And a character a little bit like too wise for her age is what I've been told by certain casting directors that they really like to see <laughs> for my performance. Um, and yeah, and I've actually, right before quarantine, for about two years, I started immersive theater which is a, if anybody hasn't sort of heard of that before, it is a mix of theater and like big theater and small black box theater where the actors will walk off stage and come and talk to you. And in some cases there isn't even a stage you start off. For example, I did a show um, that looked like a museum but everybody there was an actor and there was a storyline to follow in the museum. So when you thought you were just going to see this exhibit, you're actually there to see an entire show. Um, It's really fun. Yeah, it's a whole different skill set for sure. There's Mm -hmm. a big market for it here in L.A. because we have so much space. But the hub or the original immersive theater journey took off in New York with a show called Sleep No More. It was very successful. It was about four stories uh, worth of wandering space and you could go around giant hotel style um and it was a story of Macbeth. you could walk around and flip open books turn tables around uh really explore every nook and cranny to get more of the story and then actors would pass you by and take you to secret rooms and you could see it was a choose your own adventure kind of experience so that was the most popular one for a while there and then la started picking up so i did back-to-back shows for different kinds of companies out here in LA, some horror, some adventure. I've not I've yet to do a comedy um, and in all scales, like one started off at a small theater, whereas the other one was in a big warehouse where they built out um, uh, a hidden temple and a little river, for example, and you had to swing across a rope as an audience member to get to where I was, I was this lost explorer. Uh-huh. So it's really fun. Oh. It's, um, I highly recommend it once everything starts to open up. if Whatever city you're in, just look up Immersive Theater and see uh, what's going on. It's, it's an experience worth, worth having. That
0: sounds so interesting. Yeah, I'll have to look into that after things start to open up more. Which acting project are you most proud of?
1: When I was in acting school, I had booked a lead role in a feature film an independent feature film and that was my first big role um, i got into trouble for booking it because you're not supposed to be auditioning while you're in school they wanted all the students to be training as opposed to going out there looking for work So a little bit of a, a tricky situation so i booked this role my teacher was very angry at me but i went off to maine to film for a month and that film is called Astrea. It's a much younger me, almost nine years ago now. um, And I hadn't studied yet how to act for film and TV. I only studied how to act for theater, but they took a chance on me and that took me to a couple of film festivals. We won a couple of awards. And that's something that I really love to remember. My dad got to come visit on set a couple of times. He had a great time. So all around great experience, great first experience. And something I hold dear to my heart that I, I did this one movie where I was a lead as a younger actor. Yeah, it sounds like that is
0: a fond memory because it's kind of what got you started.
1: Yes, and it was. There's a lot of patience that goes in with um, actors who are less seasoned, and the director Chris Thor, really good at directing all sorts of caliber of actors, and for for my talent at the time my skills he really got a lot out of me which i was really happy to see on camera because i'd never seen myself on camera at that point point. and then when we were at these film festivals winning a couple of awards for best picture and things like that it was just something that i was like wow i can actually do this okay i'm gonna do this for the rest of my life let's do this." <laughs> <laughs> are you at all interested in directing someday i really would like to yes um once you sort of start to trend in, in all sorts of different levels of acting classes and things, people will say, oh, this actor has a director's brain. This actor has a producer's brain. It's sort of wherever your brain likes to mm-hmm. make patterns or justifications, right? So um, definitely one of those actors that has a director's brain, directing myself in my head sometimes. Not too much because that's up to the director. Um, but, yeah, I, d- I really like the theory of acting mainly. So and the technique of acting and the different kinds of tools you can use to get a performance out of people. And that's why the bond between a director and an actor can be so special if it's done right. And I would love to experience that on the other side as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um,
0: So what are your acting goals for the future?
1: I do see myself as the best actor that I can be when I'm much older, around 60 to 50. So, someone, oh. <laughs> yeah. so, so my goals are very far in the future. I do always see myself as just quite young and a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe when I'm 15, 60, I'll be like, well, I had everything I needed when I was, you know, 20 to 30. But who knows? <laughs> um,
0: why 50 to 60? Because it feels further than like 40?
1: Yes, probably psychologically, it feels like uh, less responsibility. But also, <laughs> um, it's a lot of role models that are that have come to be that age oh, and just okay. really magnetic and and have an understanding of life and empathy that they can translate in such subtle ways. That it's what I aspire to be. And there are some younger actors who have that for sure that I really look up to. But there's something that comes with age that the story is set in your face or the way you know the way you interpret a story as well Frances McDormand she's she's oh, not 50 yes. 60 but that's an example right um, mm-hmm. of course Meryl Streep the one and only and <laughs> and even Sarah Paulson for example mm-hmm. she started off I think when she was 40 was her first gig but she had been trying to audition I mean she had been auditioning her entire life since she was 20 she came out to LA so that was Something where I was like, wow, she was always a great actor, but now she's really got something knows something about herself. So yeah, I like to um I like to fantasize about me being that best version of myself when I'm when I'm like fully a older woman. Yeah, I like that. I think
0: I don't know how old you are, but I think in general people tend to look at the thirties as your prime or almost like especially with women, there's always talks of like wrinkles and Botox. And, um, I think people like Frances McDormand are such a good role model for aging and like just getting older and making it, making it out to be a good thing. Um, so I think that's so interesting. Like, I love that you look to women in their fifties and sixties for inspiration and as yeah, acting role models.
1: Absolutely. There is definitely a culture here in L.A. that's the opposite of that and what you just described. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And if you start, let's say, the words branding yourself and all that, um, (laughs) you you can fall into something that doesn't actually make you a better actor. You know, it may make you famous for a moment, but that would be a shame for me. I've always I've always respected people and that's always lasted much longer than um, than sort of the wow factor. Except, of course, some people are born with this wow factor that you're like, they're a star and they're born to be this, and that's amazing. No, not um, downplaying anybody who, who does play their role in this sort of fast, uh botox-y lifestyle. That's all okay. It's just I know that for myself, I wouldn't really run well in that system. So I just stay true to myself and, yeah, and see what stories I can tell in the future through film. I
0: appreciate you sharing um, because it sounds like you live a value, like you you stick to your values in life. Like it's, I see, or at least when you were speaking about your style and your closet and little shell thrift and now acting, like it's, it just, I'm, I admire just based off your description of the way that you live. It seems like you are very confident and you're comfortable in your own skin. And try your best to live authentically.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, that is that is what I like to see in other people. So that's what I try to live for as
0: well. Yeah, oh, very cool. So based on what you were saying about, you know, <laughs> LA is not necessarily a city that generally embraces aging women um and kind of promotes um procedures and and different ways to look younger. So I'm just curious, like, given someone with your values and um, experiences in life, how have you gone about forming friendships in L.A.?
1: Oh, that is a great question. Mm, I don't want to say I don't have any friends. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, hey,
0: I think the more people that say it, the more comfortable people will be if they're like, hey, I don't really have that many friends, you know?
1: Yes, it's so true. And I was that kid in high school that was friends with everybody, right? Had that big mm-hmm. group of friends. And um, I will say when I was living in New York, I had a lot of friends. I was living in London, even though I lived there only for a short while. I did have a lot of friends. It, this city is much harder. Um, and I've heard that from countless of people, people who've just moved here or who have lived here for a long time. So it's not just me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, am I just not friendly? But that is not true. So it's a lot of things going on here and it's really uh, sort of, how do I put this? You have to stay true to why you're here. you know i am here to be an actor that's why i live in la in all honesty if i wasn't an actor i might not live here or in the united states frankly because none of my family does mm-hmm. um so i have to remember that like that's why i'm here right um and then secondly if i could have a great life here that is that would make everything better so i'm always open to meeting all kinds of people and i really do i take a lot of odd jobs here and there that I get to experience all kinds of people from Hollywood parties to sort of uh, students who just got here. just all these different kinds of mindsets of LA. And once you find that one person that's like-minded, down to earth and knows why they're here too, um, then things kick off and you can just count that as a friend forever, pretty much. But it is pretty rare in this city Um, A lot of people do want you for certain things. They'll hit you up if suddenly you've booked something. Um, So it's not, not all. uh, I don't know if any other city experiences this, but in any capacity, Um, not just acting. Mm -hmm. There's also my husband's in the music industry, and he has a whole world of people he has to deal with. You know, TikTok influencers versus (laughs) (laughs) versus uh, an artist who's very talented. You know, sometimes a Mm -hmm. TikTok influencer will. Um, take priority in that moment with others but he will always uh make sure to let that talented musician know that they really have something and that's how it, we we've always been working with this filter in our heads like make sure to always stay true because then you can easily get swept up with what what's not real mhm yeah absolutely um how did you meet your husband we met at the very romantic setting of a bar. <laughs> he was a bartender, and I lived very close to this bar, like walking distance. And I, my friend was a barback, and he had been telling me about this bar for a long time. Finally, I went to go visit him, and as soon as I walked in the door, I was like, "Uh oh, who is that?" <laughs> and the funny story is, my friend was a barback, and he got the exact same reaction from him. It's pretty cool, because I don't know how often that happens, that you have uh, people remembering the first moments you saw each other so clearly. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was with somebody else, so I felt like, okay, s- stay away. Don't, don't make eye contact, you know. Um, <laughs> and I finally came back when I was single, and he was like, hey, do you still have a boyfriend? I was like, actually, I don't. he goes, that's great to hear. <laughs> And I was (laughs) leaving in a couple of days. Um, I was potentially moving to Mexico for a little while. I was like, yes, you know, I'm like, yes, I'm single and everything, but I am moving to Mexico in a couple of days. And his response was, well, we have a couple of days, which was the best response. Um, And I did go to Mexico for, for a summer and I thought, you know, oh, this guy might not Talk to me since I've left. You know, dating in LA I hear is a nightmare as well. If you can imagine <laughs> making friends is hard. Dating could be even harder. Mm-hmm. And um, and no, he just kept talking to me, kept we kept uh FaceTiming, and I flew back and kicked it off. And we did, this is kind of a shocking fact, we did get married only nine months into knowing each other. And <laughs> the reason for that was because I was transitioning with um a couple of things in my life and I was wondering if I should come back or not and he was like if you know let's do this let's do this and that way you can just live here be an actor really commit to this lifestyle I can be a music producer and we did it and it's been 5 years of Aww. honestly the best outcome I could have imagined we have we just have so much fun together we've been together in this quarantine experience every day we don't we're not sick mm-hmm. of each other and, you know, <laughs> but, so so yeah I got really lucky um, I'm really happy sort of with how things went and now we have our little dog who's the mean one, and the one but yeah <laughs> wow that's so cool um
0: so okay you said you got married nine months into meeting each other so that was like when you first met him in the bar to nine months later that's when you got married
1: yes oh wow yeah very Very quick i had never been a person who thought that i was actually gonna get married at all i thought you know oh if Mm -hmm. i like there's no rush i didn't really dream about a wedding or anything Mm -hmm. um but when i met him i i knew definitely (laughs) definitely was the person for the rest of my life one of my best friends so that's why we got married in in the courthouse it was because it was a sort of quick wedding and what we're hoping to do is have a 10-year anniversary that's actually our wedding once we save up a little bit more, because we were pretty young when we got married. And we'll be able to make a a nicer wedding with his family and my family all in Mexico, because some of his family has never been to Mexico, so that would be pretty fun.
0: Oh, wow, that's so cool.
1: I think it's really cool that I get to one day say oh you know we met each other when we were 23 and now we've been married for so and so so my parents are that way and I thought oh that's pretty rare so hopefully fingers oh. crossed I'll check in on this podcast in 23. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little time capsule
0: yeah I love that oh that's so sweet I'm glad to hear that you are very happy and that's also sweet that your parents had a similar scenario
1: yes um yeah, I thought that that was, I mean, depends where you live, but it's pretty rare for my life that, um, you mm-hmm. know, parents do stay together for so long. And it, I don't think people should stay together if they don't want to be. I'm not at all against anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But it's just a cool story. Like, hey, you got lucky, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: So I know that you mentioned you have a Spanish passport and you were... I think you said you were from Mexico, right? But you lived in Singapore? Yes. So, yeah, I know you've lived in many places. So, I'm just wondering where have you lived and where is it that you feel most at home?
1: So, when I was born, I was born in Mexico City. About six months later, my dad got a job with Singapore Airlines because he was an airline pilot for Mexico. And we moved. So, I grew up in Singapore from age six months to 16 years old. That is definitely my home. That's where I feel I most like the culture. And I will say, not so much the Singaporean culture, but the culture of um, a visitor in that country, because there's two separate... I went to an international school, so I didn't have too many Singaporean friends but the Singapore culture is really beautiful. It's got a lot of takes from all around the world because Singapore is made up of many cultures um, and their people are made up of many places. So it's equally parts Chinese, Malay, Indian, um, Indonesian, even their food is a mix of all of that. Their language is a mix of all of that. So so I did get to meet a lot of kind of people and then sort of experience a really cool life there. I was really happy. Um, Then I moved to the Middle East. My dad got another job for a different airline, Qatar Airways. That was a whole experience um, as a young teenage girl. Uh, And it really humbled me. It showed me a lot of what it is like to sort of live in really harsh environments. Um, Singapore is a very developed city. Qatar was just an up-and-coming city. And yeah, and then I moved to New York I was seventeen, and that was a hustle and bustle, but I was so full of energy that I loved every moment of it. And, <laughs> and now I'm in LA. I will say, though, I've gotten used to LA because here you can drive places, these sort of luxuries that I was never really used to. I always took public transport everywhere I lived. And now I'm worried. What happens if I go back to New York and I, you know, have no stamina left. So, LA is very comfortable it's a very nice city to live in weather-wise and all that yeah definitely ended up here wow I I did live yeah in London for a little bit and uh, Mm -hmm. that was really awesome obviously very cold um, (laughs) I had part of my mindset while I was living there was I hope to go back I hope to go to LA so I would love to move back one day and experience that maybe with Louie and and see what that's like. Um, so yeah, big ups to to London and New York. Hope to move back one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where
0: do your parents live now or where does most of your family live? In Mexico?
1: Yes. So my dad is retired in Mexico City and all of my family's there except for my two brothers. So it's um, it was my mom, my dad, me and my two older brothers. My brother Louis is in Singapore he's a lawyer and my brother Ernesto is in London and he's in maritime so he's usually on a ship about six months out of the year um, traveling all sorts of canals big big ships and all of the rest of my family is uh yeah in in Mexico City and they're very close they all see each other every Sunday and and it is a a big family as you could imagine.
0: Wow yeah it's um it's just I'm I'm sure you've gotten this at many points in your life, but it's just interesting. Like I've only lived on the East coast of the United States. Um, I'm from Connecticut and I live in, uh, Virginia. So it's always interesting to hear about people that have lived. Yeah. Like your experience in so many different countries and cultures and, um, yeah, that must've just been a really enriching experience growing up.
1: It is. I, as a teenager, I didn't, see it for what it was of course (laughs) yes yes and now as an older adult especially I will say uh when my dad was working for these airlines there was uh airline discounts so that's how we were able to travel and then we'd go stay with family members so we never were a big family to do big resort trips or stay in hotels it was always Mm -hmm. you know um whatever flight was most empty and let's see who gets on and then you arrive to your family's house to stay there for a while but nevertheless it definitely instilled a true passion for traveling and part of my future goals are to be able to save money and time while being an actor and hopefully while running the shop um you know almost full time to be able to travel and what would be really interesting would be able to thrift and do sort of series of drops in other countries so like um oh wow yeah, something like Italy or, or, you know, little markets in France and see what I find and bring it back um, to the U.S. Mm -hmm. That's a little side dream I have for myself. That would be incredible, especially if you're
0: talking about doing, sticking with your colors, like your theme for Little Mm -hmm. Shell. I can just, I feel like it would be so interesting to see what that looks like in other countries, like with different fabrics and patterns and
1: Absolutely, yes. I think European brands in general, they're better made. I don't know what it is, especially if they're made in (laughs) Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that same linen piece that might be uh, made in Spain might just last that little bit longer. And so it'd be really great to find some of those pieces and bring them back.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, so interesting. Um, Can I ask how many languages you speak?
1: I speak English, Spanish, and a little bit of French.
0: Oh, very cool. And so since you have the Spanish influence, but you're from Mexico, do, would you say you speak more like Mexican Spanish? or a...
1: Yes. Okay. I, have a, I have a Mexican accent. Mm-hmm. Well, I have an, a slight American accent, actually, in my Spanish, <laughs> just because I don't uh-huh. speak enough Spanish. Um, okay. My cousins get at me for it. But if I do stay in Mexico for a month and... I, uh, I do have a uh, Mexican way of speaking and sort of mm-hmm. a slang, for sure.
0: <laughs> Very cool. So now I have some closing questions that I ask most people that I interview for the podcast. So the first question is, what is something you want to do someday that currently scares you?
1: One day, I would like to build a tiny home. And that <gasps> scares <Ooh>. me. <laughs>
0: Why does that scare you?
1: I would like to build it from scratch. Uh, I know that it is very expensive, even if you really do make all sort of sustainable resources and recycled materials. It can be, obviously, (laughs) building anything can be sort of a headache and a long process. But it is definitely something I've always wanted, sort of to curate a small, minimalist space. I do watch constantly um the channel never too small on youtube is really great and bryce langston with um small living he features a lot of people in australia and new zealand with tiny homes so highly recommend that if you want some inspiration
0: wow very cool that's awesome so would you probably build it in the u.s or would you think somewhere else
1: it's a good question. A lot of these tiny homes are on wheels so you can take them places but I would like to make oh. something more permanent. I'm not too into the idea of the wheels or the transporting version of a house. I would like mm-hmm. to make it specific to the place it's in um, and maybe even build into what's already existing. So the I've been weighing the pros and cons of America has so many beautiful places. It's got great beaches, mountains, I mean, everything you could possibly mm-hmm. think of, all kinds of terrains, desert. I've just been to Joshua Tree, and that was really inspirational, oh, too. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is the idea of, do I want to retire in Spain? And then thinking about where my family from Spain is, and that's a really beautiful area in the Basque country, in San Sebastian and the And so I'm thinking, okay, well, that could be a place, too, to land a little tiny home. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's very cool. So the next question is, what are your goals for the next five years?
1: My goals for the next five years include bringing Little Shell Thrift to newer, higher levels in terms Mm -hmm. of better quality content um, and and sort of rolling that ball of how the shop works and really um, making a sturdy framework for myself So that I can do it full time and can build it out to where I really want it to be at a very professional level. Still keeping it, you know, secondhand and humble and all things like that. But um, just the quality of what it looks like, I have a goal for myself. Um, If you want to check out Seek and Select on Instagram, they're a huge inspiration. They do things really, really well. Um, If you're curious about, like, different kinds of thrift shops on Instagram, I have a whole list, but yeah, you can just DM me and I'll send you a bunch. Um, So so those are my goals for the shop. For my personal career, it's, of course, acting jobs as as well as booking, um, you know, all, all kinds of things that come and go for film. I know Netflix is doing a lot of really cool series with all kinds of faces. Thankfully, diversity is really kicking off and We're seeing all kinds of actors um, with little to no experience or a lot of experience all in a mix altogether. It's not so inaccessible as it was before with this idea of Hollywood. So I'm really excited to see where that's going and what part I play in that. And lastly, to continue on my minimalist journey and see where that takes me. I would love to have a uniform for myself, for my closet, so that I can truly Um, think of other things as opposed to what I'm going to wear that day or anything like that. Even though I love to dress up, but I would just like to make it more streamlined for myself and see what it's like to push the boundaries of minimalism. How far can I go? What is too far? And seeing if anybody else is interested on it, um, on the topic and helping them through their journey as well.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing all your goals.
1: Of course. Thank you for asking. (laughs)
0: You're welcome. Um, That's, I think, the way that you said pushing the boundaries of minimalism. Um, That made me smile a little bit because I can imagine there are times when people maybe give away more than they're able to um, and then kind of find themselves just buying something because they gave away too much all at once.
1: Yes, you'll find a couple of people do these um, extreme declutters for the wow factor they get rid of 80% of their things. Most people will say they never miss anything. And I will agree, I've anything I've let go, even if it's near and dear to my heart, I don't actually miss it. Um, but I am curious to see when it becomes something that inspires me or when it becomes something that's um, like, I, I've bought too much, I'm, I'm guilty, or sort of um, not patting myself on the back for doing a good enough job. So that's sort of the, you know, I think as women we're very s- smart and aware of ourselves and we work towards our best selves more than most people i know I've just at least people who are aware of themselves and of how they like to dress in their home so i think we're also can be and i'm not speaking for all women but i'm just speaking for most of my life hard on ourselves <laughs> so maybe yes we'll- I'll take some tips and say, you know, don't be too hard on myself or if I don't reach those goals, not to be um, sort of chastising myself for it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So the next question is, what is something you recommend listeners read, watch, and listen to?
1: I highly recommend watching, and this is just for a nice, calming little, let's say, 30-minute you have off break. I highly recommend watching Nikki Positano on YouTube. I know I mentioned a lot of YouTubers, but they do make great content that's not overproduced or fake. Um, Nikki is a woman who lives in Positano, Italy. She takes you on her life journey, basically anything she's doing that day. But she is so great at just reminding you of what's important. She doesn't preach anything, she makes food from her own garden, she walks around the park, she takes her dog for a walk. So if um, you ever just need like a little reminder of, hey, everything's gonna be all right, that's who I recommend watching. Secondly, just last night I watched the movie Minari. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Incredible acting. Um, just that, just powerful acting in silences and silences and so much humanity in them. So that's a What movie. is that on? That I is on now. Amazon right okay. now. I think it won Best Picture, but I may be incorrect about that. But um, it was very <laughs> close to. I'm pretty sure it did. And uh, it does cost to buy. I think it's $15 still. It's been like that for a couple months, but highly recommend it. And if you can, like, you know, share the link or, or watch it with friends, even better. It's a slower movie, but it's just a beautiful movie. Oh, wow. Great recommendation. Okay.
0: Do you have any, I know I know you've given recommendations about this whole interview, but I didn't know if you have something for reading or listening to. And if not, that is absolutely fine.
1: I do have a book, Attainably Sustainable from National Geographic. It makes for a great coffee table book because it's already a <laughs> hardback. Um, and it's got really great tips for making your own laundry detergent, House cleaning products. I'm sure everybody knows one or two tricks, but this one just has a bunch of them that are very easily accessible. They have a hair mask. I highly recommend. I've tried for myself. It's a mix of avocado, egg yolk. You can substitute that if you're vegan. Jojoba oil, apple cider vinegar in a blender, and you put it in your hair. And the next day, it's super soft and silky. So that's just one tip I took away from that book. And at the end of the chapter, they have a couple of gardening tips if anybody started a little garden during quarantine. And lastly, another book I recommend is called Mending Matters. Forget the author right now, but it is about sashiko threading, the Japanese art style of mending clothing with the threads being very visible in a statement. And it's a great way to repair jeans, a dress, anything really. You just add this patchwork to it and there's patterns in it, there's ideas, there's ways to stitch clothing. Um, and once you get a hang of it, it can be really beautiful to add a little denim patch to your already existing denim jacket. Um, that's something I've been able to do during quarantine, which is really fun. And, th- and then you can buy the thread and organic Sashiko thread, sorry, the needle and the organic Sashiko thread on Etsy um, from a couple of local shops who are all, all Japanese products. So. So yeah, just a a cool hobby to be able to take care of your clothing a little bit more. Make it a little of a statement piece. Okay,
0: so then my last question is how can people follow and support you?
1: Yes, so if you just search up at Little Shell Thrift on Instagram, our page will pop up. Give us a follow. Um, You can always press the notification bell for wherever we post uh, stories or posts of clothing so you can know what's coming and so you don't miss out. Um, and we're pretty active on there. You can ask us anything towards minimalism or anything you're curious about that we've spoken about in this podcast, we're open book. Awesome,
0: thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the That's My Treat podcast. As a reminder, everything that was mentioned during the episode will be included in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. Also, if you're looking for ways to support the show, remember that you can do so by sharing an episode with a friend, following us on social media at That's My Truth Podcast on Instagram, and leaving us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week.